Or was it Mary Poppins and company that I was really searching for? Okay. Greetings and salutations, listeners. It's Kiki, your podcast hostess. This is the Brooklyn Flea came to Pittsburgh. And this episode is my quest for Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. And I'm straight out of Kaufman's in downtown Pittsburgh. I think it's best to start with letting y'all know that when I was a kid, I didn't like cartoons. Not at all. Okay, maybe a little of the Jetsons, but that was probably only because as long as I can remember, time travel was always my one and only fantasy. But I digress. We only had, what, five channels when I was a kid? Note here, my parents censored us big time. So, Mr. Rogers was all that I cared to watch. I wanted to go to that land of make-believe in that miniature train that went through Fred Rogers' wall on the set like nobody's business. As far back as I can recall, I am certain that I knew it was not real. But it was just so creative before I even knew what creative meant. Now, important for me to insert here that I have never been a fan of puppets or puppet shows or people that are puppets of someone else, but the latter is for another time. Matter of fact, even when I was seven, Daniel Striped Tiger and the Meow 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 Pussycat got on my nerves. Okay, wow. Stop the podcast. Just a little fact check of the original puppets on Mr. Rogers with names and hold the phone. In the castle was King Friday the 13th. Guess the connotation of the superstition had in can the 13th thing? Because I never remember hearing the 13th. (laughs) Y'all, I'm just finding this out now. (laughs) We may need to go to a media timeout. Now wait, uh, this is not monetized, so I have no sponsors. Say la vie, say la vie. X the Owl was trying to be the next Albert Einstein, and Lady Elaine, you know, the nasty wench in that revolving museum that they had, they both had moments of intrigue, so I was cool with them. Now, spoiler alert here, for the future... Many years later, I did meet and fraternize with a male human version of Lady Elaine. We will dig a bit into that in another episode. (laughs) Back to my devotion, truly, to Mr. Rogers. I'm telling you, I would have given up every Barbie doll, any and every toy, my ballet slippers for classes at Point Park, the exception, to have those models he had of the land of make-believe, the castle, old X's tree, the museum especially. Hell, all of them. It was completely unfair that an adult got to have them on his kitchen table and I didn't have them. By the way, if anyone winds up knowing that they are at the Heinz Center or anywhere else, the Smithsonian, I don't know, do not message me or you'll be hearing about a theft on the 11 o'clock news. The childlike fascination stuck with me. Unknowingly, until this moment, I did not realize how it even holds present day, 
or I wouldn't have tripped over my sentences here talking about old Fred. When I was a senior in college at Carlo in Oakland, I worked as a nurse's aide at Presby, 12th floor. The desk was the dead end of a hall that came from the elevators. Of course, I worked 3 to 11 at that job because I was in school during the day. 3 to 11 was the height of visiting hours. One evening. And I kid you not, Fred Rogers got off the elevator and was walking toward us. I sunk into a chair. And he was obviously there to visit a patient. By the way, we had no kids as patients on the floor. But he made eye contact, smiled at me, and said hello when he walked past. Wow. Wow. I was frozen. My whole childhood was flashing warp speed before my eyes. He was not carrying a bag or briefcase, so I assumed no surprise puppet or miniature museum accompanied him, but nevertheless. I theorized it was that encounter that made me answer the question when people would say, have you ever seen anyone famous in New York City? In reality, I was running into celebrities two or three times a week living in New York City for 20 years with the simply just that is how it is in New York. I usually tell them that I narrow it down a bit when they were asking the question, did you see anyone famous? Like, you know, male or female, black, white or other, old or young, TV or film. <laughs> anyway. But here is the link that indeed defines my podcast title. They were all, even from when I first moved to New York, all these celebrities that I'd see two or three times a week were just people in my neighborhood. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood, a beautiful day for a neighbor. I'm missing the words, but that's okay. called a gypsy. Honestly, as far back as my grandmother saying it when I was a kid. Usually when my sister and I were running around the yard with wild hair. All the way to referring to my own self as a gypsy. Once in New York City, I literally moved across the street. Jason was not very happy with me on that one, being the muscle to get some bulky items down to the corner of the block just to come back up on the other side. Well, because the ends were where the sidewalk had the ADA access and, you know, easier. He wasn't happy. At this point, I'm convinced it was all part of finding my best neighborhood. But holy hell, looking back, that search seems so tedious. I am not sure how I even came out semi-sane. Now, I'm deliberately going to leave out all the nonsense prior to the home in the Manchester section of Pittsburgh Northside. It was the late 90s, and my Liverpool Street block was actually in historic home registries, like nationwide. It was three stories. Half the basement was a dirt floor. I recall one of my brothers coming over and saying, hey, we should start digging and see what we find. Yeah, no. 
You know, I do have to wonder present day if I would say okay. But there was a group on that cluster of streets in Manchester that met on a regular basis to discuss the history of it all, how everyone's renovations were going, and my favorite part, which of us were going to put our homes on the public house tour each year. And indeed, I included mine. A guidebook was printed for tour day. Along with an artist's sketch of the house, there was like a half page written on each and how the owner came to live there. And I believe we had input into what it said. Mine included me saying that when I looked up to the top of my house, I expected to see Mary Poppins with her umbrella flying by. Y'all, I cashed in a 401k to pay someone to paint the gingerbread features on the outside to resemble 1882, which is when it was built. Great money manager that I am. Anyway, the folks and characters in that Manchester group really were super interesting and cool. Terrific, right? So why did I depart? Well, Mr. Rogers, nor King Friday the 13th, nor Lady Elaine showed for the tour. Must not really be my neighborhood. (laughs) The reality was the goal was always New York City. But I did a coast-to-coast thing for two and a half years first when I left Pittsburgh. Pretty sure it was just to A, say that I did, and B, to be certain that my Mr. Rogers neighborhood was indeed New York. What I never imagined was that New York had oh so many different hoods. I went into the city as a travel nurse when the going was the best with that gig. Doorman elevator buildings, furnished with utilities paid. But the travel nurse companies did give some leeway and choice on where you wanted apartments. And I tell you, I rode that benefit for almost five years. I started in Midtown East. It was just mere blocks from the United Nations. And being a newbie in New York City as a resident, I had no complaints. But you know, after a few months, I realized the only person I interacted with locally was one of the doormen of my own building. I was, however, in that location, an overnight hostess on several occasions when my ballerina sister called saying a dancer had an audition and could he or she stay with me for a night or two. I had a pull out love seat that was extra, so I was always saying yes. At that point, I think maybe I was Mr. Rogers, sort of because I was making it a friendly layover for the unfortunate low-paid ensemble-level ballet dancers. Jacob was the first, I still remember. He had taken like a Greyhound bus from Pittsburgh and it was late, probably around midnight when he got there. But in the dark, with the lights out, we had the most interesting long conversation about life and everything in it until we both kind of drifted off to sleep. The next day, I had different places I needed to be, and I got back to the apartment and just missed him before he left. He had left the loveliest bouquet of flowers for me and a note thanking me profusely for hosting him, and he mentioned the great conversation at midnight in the dark. That was really cool. Anyway, from there, I'm moving on up to the Upper East Side, 
And okay, for a Pittsburgh native, still pretty new to the city, typically had larger apartments. I probably wasn't ready for the micro space yet. But after a couple years up there, again, I didn't feel like I fit in. For one thing, I didn't have a baby in a stroller and I felt like I was the only one that did it. It turned out I was just destined for the West Side. Hell, I was already crossing the park to go over there for dance classes and, well, everything, you name it. The first address was 74th and Broadway. That was my first West Side locale. I was subletting from a guy who was headed to Vegas for what he said was one, two, or even three years. He was playing a part in the musical Jersey Boys in a massive hotel just opening at the time down there in Vegas. My place was a textbook brownstone. I could sit on the outside stairs like TV to wait for Jason to come over. There were many restaurants we loved that were an easy walk. That was so Mr. Rogers' neighborhood, I thought. My favorite dance studio was just three blocks away. Man, I was so hoping for the three years on this sublet. But no, he was coming back after a year. And with just a few weeks notice in the dead of winter, I had to find another home. Wow. (laughs) And that's when Carmine Street happened. Now, Jason had said, why don't you move downtown? Which, of course, meant the village. He had a rent-stabilized studio in the East Village. But I was hell-bent on my west side tendencies. And we could still walk between apartments if we were not being lazy or just too tired. When I first moved into 45 Carmine Street, my work commute was a 10-minute walk up the sidewalks. Was that not Mr. Rogers coming into that little house that he had on the set? Anyway, it was the most social I'd ever been in my life. I mean, the annual village Halloween parade which, by the way, I could just saunter to on the far edge of Carmine Street to see. It had more interesting characters that could ever fit on a Fred Rogers show, even in a 10-year span. I think X the Owl was the Grand Malsher one year. And with more than one subway line so close by, I felt, you know, this is pretty darn similar to that trolley going through the wall that Rogers had to the land of make-believe. Nirvana, right? Awesome. Well, after five years, I was gradually priced out by evil people after my beloved St. Vincent's Hospital, where I worked, closed. Mr. Rogers would never have driven the middle class out, but it is what it is. I was sincerely sad and kind of resigned myself to thinking, okay, I had my neighborhood, nothing good ever lasts. I got a little lucky with a place I could still afford. It was in Hell's Kitchen. Now, obviously a lot of time had passed by the now, from when they named it Hell's Kitchen. But somehow I felt the outdated name given to that section of Manhattan was 100% fitting for me. As it turned out, I think that the four and a half years spent in that micro-apartment was perhaps like living one of Fred Rogers' miniature replicas. It was so small. However, in what was to become my last residence with my time in New York City, and yes, of course, I am glad I didn't know that at the time. But anyway, it turned out to be simply great in that location. 
I even really like my super. The guys in the corner bodega befriended me. My wash and fold dude two doors down was so kind to me. The taco place staff down the street knew what the usual was for me. Then came the year 2020. <sighs> the pandemic killed any version of a neighborhood in New York City. Hell, the mayor had every basketball hoop dismantled from the banking boards for almost six months. And if that wasn't enough, the soon to follow riots that forced an 8 p.m. curfew for five nights put the writing on the wall. I actually took some photos of guys boarding up windows less than two blocks away for that. And again, on the eve of the 2020 election, the latter being a just-in-case situation. I stuck it out until June of 2021, and despite the aforementioned, it was still such a heavy heart, heavy burdened heart, that I decided to say farewell to 20 years of what to this moment still feels like the only adult home I've ever known. And now I'm in Kaufman's, which kind of is the center of the universe for the city of Pittsburgh. I guess this has to do. You know, two years ago, my dad told me not to dwell on the sadness of leaving New York, to just focus on the memories that were so good. I hope this episode reflects that. I will say this in complete honesty. Everyone that listens to my podcast has truly developed a sense of a neighborhood for myself. And for that, I really mean this, I'm eternally grateful. The Brooklyn Flea came to Pittsburgh, plans to keep recording. I hope you all stay with me. This is Kiki saying so long and until next time.